This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Here we are in Purgatory 12. First, the central elements of the canto are brief descriptions of the 13 marvelously sculpted carvings of examples of pride on the marble floor on which the penitents and Dante and Virgil are walking, beginning with Satan and ending with a panoramic view of the ruined city of Troy after the sack by the Greeks. At the conclusion of Canto 12, as Dante and Virgil approach the angel at the entrance to the ascent uh, to the next round, Virgil and Dante look up and an angel strikes Dante's forehead with his wing, and he, Dante, realizes that a heavy weight has been lifted off of him. Now, a heavy weight from from the letter P written on his forehead? What? He will feel his forehead and realize that one of the P's on his brow has been removed. And uh, in the previous canto, canto 11, when they arrived at on this first round, Dante had been accosted by a man named Umberto, who bent over apparently by a heavy weight, spoke of something which subdued my haughty neck. I'm borrowing from a drawing by Barry Moser in the Mandelbaum translation of the Purgatorio, in which you can see how the artist conceived of a rock some huge rock that was bending him over. That is, in fact, not mentioned by any one of the participants in this round. Dante then bends down and looks sideways to see uh, who is speaking. He does not mention any heavy mass that he sees that weighs on Umberto's neck and bends Umberto's posture double such that he can only see the marvelous carved images of pride at his feet. But at the beginning of Canto 12, Dante is told by Virgil to look down at the carvings on the floor of the round. Dante evidently, for some time, he and the shade of Umberto were talking, has been looking sideways only at Umberto, but has not looked at that surface on which they have been walking. But Dante, to repeat, does mention a release from the weight of the P on his forehead. Let me pause here and make some very broad observations about the Inferno and about Purgatorio. It is sometimes said of the Inferno that in this realm from which the shades are never released, that the sin is the punishment. Now, if you've ever done something really bad, and most of us have, when you, when you think of it, uh, you are not totally corrupt. You feel really awful. It stays with you, and you can't ever forget it. That experience is a pale imitation of the inscription at the gate of the inferno. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. This is what damnation feels like while we still have a chance to repent. Now, let me say something about purgatorio. First, these shades are going to be saved. Now here, in this realm, there is something really puzzling. 
At a certain point early on in the canto, verses 25 to 36, a shade notices that Dante casts a shadow, whereas none of the shades do, nor does Virgil. Why is that? Well, only Dante is still in his body. Okay, so what? Well, one of the things about that, about which we are all well aware is that because we are in a body, we have the physical sensation of a feeling of a burden. Without a body, you cannot have any awareness of weight. Well then, what then in the world could it mean that these shades complain of the weight on their necks, which bends them double? Hmm. And keep in mind that Dante is bent over not because he's a being in a body, uh, does uh, feel a heavy burden, but because he's only looking sideways to see who he's talking to. Now, with great writers and poets, and Dante was surely such, one must not jump to conclusions. I shall try to make some sense of what seems a very small point. What is that weight which Umberto feels, but Dante never mentions and appears not to observe burdening Umberto nor anyone else of the penitents until he feels a weight has been lifted off of his own forehead and the senses that a pea has been removed. Now, on their way into the round of pride, the first stage of the realms of purgatory, a place of purification, a place for cleansing, what, we may ask, is being purified. These souls are saved. That's why they are joyously singing when they first entered the mount. So why do they need to be purified or cleansed? Evidently, there's some residue of their past life that needs to be removed before they can enter paradise. To judge by the example of Dante's own sojourn in this round, one departs from this round when one sees the examples of the vice and then turns and looks up and now is able to see examples of the virtue. Thus, to state the obvious, when after gazing constantly at the instances of the vice, pride, one looks up and sees the instance of vir the virtue, humility, one rises to the next level. Now, in Canto 12, Virgil directs Dante's attention to the pavement he's walking on because he has been looking only sideways as he walks beside the bent-over penitent Umberto. The pavement on the round has magnificent carvings in the marble floor of vivid exemplars of pride, including first Satan falling from heaven, thereafter Nimrod at the ruin of the Tower of Babel, Niobe among her slaughtered remains of her children, the suicide of Saul upon Gibeah, and ending with Troy after the sack. Think of book two of the Aeneid. In Canto 10, passing through the entrance to the first round, Dante saw on the interior wall of the mountain the examples of humility. The Virgin Mary at the Annunciation, David's enthusiasm at the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, and Emperor Trajan's grant of the request of a poor widow. Canto 12 is chiefly devoted to a brief description of the 12 famous examples which none of the shades Dante encounters on the first round have yet seen. Why not? Because they can only attend to 
the burden that forces them to look at what is at their feet. Let me pause here to remind you of some obvious differences between the Inferno and Purgatorio. First, consider the awareness of the passage of time. In the Inferno, there was no awareness of the passage of time. It's a place of eternal punishment. There is, so to speak, no time for the, in the eternal. At best, there is only an awareness of the near coincidence of distinct events, like, for example, the earthquake that, that occurs about the time of the harrowing in Virgil's report of the entrance to the seventh circle. In Purgatorio, however, there is frequent notice given to the movements of celestial bodies before water clocks in antiquity. This was the way that one noticed the passage of time. The shades on the mountain are acutely aware of time because they assume they must endure their punishments uh, some, uh, as punishments there's some length of time. But there is no indication that their notion of how long they must experience the torments on the mountain is anything but their own opinion. No prisoner, penitent, or penitent has a conviction notice specifying the length of his, so to speak, incarceration. What could that mean? The inferno is a place of eternal incarceration. The souls in the inferno will never escape. Purgatorio is a place of as yet indeterminate delay before reaching paradise. For example, in Canto 4, line 130, among the shades, resting uh, in the shade beside a boulder, Dante rec recognizes an old acquaintance, Bellacqua, who in, his, in life was customarily lazy. He tells Dante, brother, what's the good of going up? The angel of, the God, of God who sits at the gateway would not let me pass into torments. How does he know this? Take note of his pessimism, of, uh, of his own prospects. He's going to end up in heaven. What is his problem? Now, the shades of purgatory, one might say, are intensely self-absorbed. What they see and what they think they understand about the place is constantly related to their own sense of themselves. We need to remember that the entrance to the mount itself, the three steps, are stages of self-scrutiny. The first step was white marble, so polished and so clear that I was, as Dante said, I was mirrored in it as I appear in life. Now, the remaining two steps, metaphorically speaking, also reflect back on the state of the soul uh, of the shade in their sense of their own life. That is, their second step is, of the entrance is fractured and broken. And then the third is flaming and bloody, or sanguine, anticipating the best, that is to say, marked by an eager hopefulness. Now let me conclude with an observation that I think is true about all of us in life. None of us are perfect. At some time or other in the past, each of us has, ha has done something they realize is really wrong, of which we are, are so ashamed that we cannot stop thinking about it all over again. Now, when it comes to mind, at first, 
we see ourselves clearly doing that shameful thing. It is hard to stop thinking about it, but eventually we do, and our self-respect is shattered. But that's the second step. But there is hope that we have learned our lesson and we won't do it again. And we yearn for an opportunity to prove it to ourselves, perhaps even more than to anyone else. We look up and we see what we ought to have done in the first place. We are no longer bent double by the burden of our past. That is what I think Canto 12 of Purgatorial is all about. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.